Well, there's a few things here that are worthy of note that I love about this story. One of the things is the characteristics of these four men are things that, as believers, that I think that we need to take note of. There's some things that we can make note here because they care deeply for this friend. And we're going to focus on some of the characteristics of these men and qualities that I need and you need as a body, as followers of Jesus, that we need to emulate. We need to follow qualities needed in our own day to bring others to Christ. Because that's kind of what our mission is, isn't it? It's a great commission mission. We're, we're looking for opportunities and ways to how can we extend the love of Christ to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our community. And so any way that we can be reminded of how to do that. Now, you know, sometimes sharing the gospel is like when you teach about prayer or tithing. You immediately, people feel the heaviness and the weight of what you're saying. This is not a guilt trip. This is a way that we can be reminded and encouraged. And what I pray will be done this morning is that the individual that is perhaps the individual that, that God has placed you in proximity to, maybe a friend, a family, whoever, but it's somebody that, even as I talk, there's somebody that you, uh, you carry a heaviness for their soul. You carry a heaviness for their life. You carry a heaviness for their uh, coming to faith in Christ because you know, like these men, that without Jesus... There's no hope. And I pray that that individual, maybe more than one, but at least one individual, that even as I'm talking, I'm deliberately pausing because I want the Holy Spirit to impress that name, that as I talk all along this way, that the Holy Spirit's going to use this to encourage you and me to be the friend like these four men were to this paralytic, this paralyzed man that obviously was somebody that was close to them. And so what can we learn here this morning? Notice with me, first of all, three areas, basically. First observation that I would remind you of from this text is that they cared enough to get involved. That's number one. They cared enough to get involved. Notice what it says at the latter part of verse 3. It says, and they came... These men, and they came bringing to him a paralytic, a paralyzed man, and he was carried by four men. It doesn't say what the relationship was. It doesn't say who they were to him, a friend, a family member. But these, these four unknown men, I mean, heaven has their names recorded. That's really all that matters is, is how it's recorded in heaven, right? God, God knows. But these men shared some things in common. One is that they had a dear friend, a needy friend that they cared about. We do. There's people in our lives. I just mentioned that. Notice that they all had the same intent and purpose, the same goal. Somewhere they got together and said, we've got to carry, let's name him Fred. That's not an indictment of any Freds, but let's name him Fred. We need to take Fred and we need to get him to Jesus. Now, four men, if he's a paralytic, you need four guys to carry on each corner, right? So they had a little strategy going on there. 
Uh, what I love is the fact is that they were all on the same page. And as I mentioned this, that not only does God call us to reach individuals, but sometimes and oftentimes God will put people around us that he has placed to assist us, maybe just to pray. If there's somebody that there is very, uh, you're very uh, uh, intent, spiritually intent in reaching them with the gospel, seek somebody or another person or two to pray and say, would you join with me? And as the Lord brings it to mind, or as I send you an email or whatever, that you'll pray for my son, you'll pray for my daughter, that we'll agree together, we'll be joined together to pray for this person. So they they were in agreement, they had the same goal. Now, that's important because it wouldn't do any good if there was the individuals and one person says, well, I don't think we ought to go there. I think we ought to take him to this this guy that I know. He's a cousin of my cousin Vinny, and he's got a special ointment and treatment, and he's got some magical power, whatever. Or another guy said, oh, no, we don't need to do that. He just needs more you know, care, psychiatry, counseling, or whatever. In other words, they were in agreement at what they should do. They cared enough to get involved. Do we care enough to get involved? Sometimes it isn't to say, well, I care. It's just, you know, I don't really have time. I'm busy, and, you know, I can pray for them. And let me not underestimate the power of prayer, but how does God answer prayer? A lot of times, we're the answer to the very prayers that we're we're praying. God uses, again, people, not just ourselves. And I suppose I want to just kind of make that emphasis a little more stronger is that, that we sometimes feel the weight and burden for the need of this person or individual that we love. But reaching out to somebody and saying, would you pray? Would you join with me? Because... God may put different people and involve different people in their spiritual journey and progress. And and listen, guys, we need all the help we can get. And so these four men cared enough to get involved. They understood the importance and significance and agreement that they had to get their friend to Jesus. Because without any help or without Jesus, there would be no hope. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ compels us. Why is it we want to see this person brought to Christ? Because the love of Christ, we know that their spiritual, physical deliverance and whatever the situation is, only Jesus can meet that need. Only Jesus can be the answer that they need. And so think about this, is that sometimes people around us will say things and give us little opportunities to tell us where and what's going on in their life. And so we need this. We need also to care to get involved. We need to hear the the Spirit leading us. Sometimes when we talk about witnessing or leading someone to Christ, we get all think, oh, I don't have enough information. I don't have enough knowledge or whatever. Listen, you just need to be available to be used by God at any time He desires. And sometimes people around you may say things or give us clues of opportunity. And you know what the Spirit is hoping can happen? Is that maybe you might open your mouth and say, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? Let me go even further. How about I come by and pick you up 
and bring you to church. How about even this? I'll entice it even more. Not only will I come by and pick you up, but I'll buy you lunch. Now, it might be a happy meal, but I'll buy you lunch. In other words, do you and I care enough to really get involved in the very thing that we're praying for and desiring? Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves? Are we willing to pay a little price of that because we're praying, that's great, but do we want to really pick up the stretcher and carry him all that way, carry him up the steps? I mean, do we really want to exert that much energy? Oh, well, you know what? That's somebody, that's the pastor's job. No, that's, that's all of our jobs. That's all of the work of the ministry. They cared enough to get involved. Secondly, notice second observation. Not only do they care enough to get involved, but secondly, they knew who could help their friend. They knew where to go. They knew who could help him. It says in verse 3, And they came bringing to him, bringing to Christ, a paralytic carried by four men. Verse 5 says that Jesus saw their faith. It's important to have faith, but it's not faith in faith. Faith, James says, without works is what? Dead. That means there's no life in it. Remember that whole discussion where we were going through James? You know, the whole kind of, you know, if you show me your works, I'll show you my faith and Faith without works is dead. So it's good that we all, you know, as believers we have faith. But faith is visible. Faith is seen when it's demonstrated. How did they demonstrate it? They picked up their friend on that mat, on that stretcher, and they carried him and they brought him to Christ. And thank God they knew where to bring him. I'm amazed sometimes at people who are believers and some of the advice that they give unbelievers when there needs to be a holy, can I say old-timer this way, a Holy Ghost boldness, huh? To say what you need is you need Jesus Christ. He's your only answer. Everything else you're doing to try to manage yourself and become a better version, as we're learning on Wednesday nights, how's that working so far? It ain't. It ain't working. You need Jesus Quit running from Christ. He's your answer. Let me tell you about Jesus. Or you know what? You don't even have to go that far. There's no record these four guys said anything to him. But you know what they did? They knew where to take him. And you know what? You may not know what to say, but you know what? You can call me. You can call one of our leaders here in the church. You can call somebody here that would know what... You know what? You can do it even real simple. Just bring them to church. Look around you at all the empty chairs. We got plenty of room. But you know, let me just hit pause. People say, wouldn't it be great if 50 people came? You know, our church doubled in size. Yes, it would be great. But it also would be a disaster too right now. You know why? Because I'm not convinced we have enough people to disciple those new people that would come in. If we had 10 new people, let's say five new people. Let's say two new people. Let's say one. Are you ready to give of an evening 
of your time? Are you willing to meet them at 6 a.m. and lead them in, a, in the Word of God to pray with them? To, if they don't have a ride to church? Listen, guys, one of the sad... Now, this is not guilt trip. This is just your pastor talking, all right? One of the saddest things is that van out there. You know why it's sad? Because it sits there Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It used to be used to bring, how many is that thing seat? Nine, two, huh? Fifteen. Oh, my goodness. That used to be full of people. You know why? Because there was somebody that was committed to drive the van, and then it got on one person, where, but it was shared, and people who could not come to church were brought to church. So when you leave today, you look at that van and say, you know what? That's our stretcher. And where does it sit? It just sits out there. And if you look underneath it, grass is getting grown. You know why? Because it hadn't been moved the last couple of times they mowed the yard out of here. Does that, did I just make that again? What, you don't, what I don't want is like, okay, you just really, oh, man, I feel, I feel horrible. I feel like crud now. And I'll, I'll drive it. Don't ever do something out of guilt. Because you know, I'm not trying to talk you into doing anything. The person who's going to be committed are persons. It really needs more than one. It'd be great if there was three people that could, this is free. This is not even my notes. But the Lord put that in my heart and said, that stretcher out there is not being used to bring people into this body. And it used to be used by people who, who, who that was the only way they could get to church. You know what it'll take? It'll take you, you and I willing to care enough to get involved. Because we know where to take them, right? We know where to bring them. But let it be the Spirit of God to say, you know what, I can do that a couple of times a month, and I'll recruit somebody else. And if they slack off, I'm going to whip them over the head because they committed to do it in the Spirit. We'll whip them over the head in the Spirit. Smile, people, all right? Do you agree with what I'm saying? Huh? All right. That's free. We're not going to get charged for that. These men did not allow the situation. Yes, they knew the man couldn't walk, but what did they do? They carried him. They understood the fact that when they got to the house, what was the problem at the house? Couldn't get in. Too many people. What did they do? They went around. They went up on the roof. Uh, when they went up on the roof, what did they do? We're going to have to open a hole here. We're going to have to cut away. You get the idea? Is they knew that if they didn't get their pal to Jesus, he would never, ever be healed. Now, remember, in their mind, they're just looking for a physical healing. Something more happens here in just a moment. Jesus was this man's only hope. They cared enough to get involved. They knew who to take their friend to for help. But notice thirdly in this passage, you see what's going on here? They cared. They knew who to take him to. And they were willing to do whatever it took because they loved their friend. They loved their friend. And they were not going to allow any obstacles to deter them. Look at the main one. The guy's paralyzed. He can't walk. Now, it doesn't say how long this journey was but 
It doesn't say how big the guy was. It didn't say how hot it was, but they physically carried him. That was the only way that he was going to get to where he needed to go. What a picture of the paralyzing effect of sin. They were willing to take upon themselves the physical burden of carrying their friend. You see, guys, don't don't miss this important point here, is that we, again, must be willing... To love this person, fill in the name, so much that we really will do whatever it takes, whatever inconveniences on our part to get them to the place of Jesus. Not only did they carry him, but then they got there and there's this crowd that can't get in. So what did they do? They went up on the roof and tore the roof open. Now, don't let that be a scare if you have a small group. Listen, if you've got a small group and it's so packed out because of God moving in your small group that somebody busts the ceiling to get in, guess what? Sean will pay for your roof, all right? I didn't ask him, but I just know as an anointed man, a giver of God, he would be willing to do that. No, the idea is that, look, they, got, they had every problem and reason to make an excuse of why we couldn't do this. Let me, let me go back and read verses 2 through 4 here. It won't be on the screen. Just follow in your Bibles. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. They couldn't even budge the door open. And Jesus was in there preaching the word to them. And they came and bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And they couldn't get near him because of the crowd. And it says in the latter part of verse 4, they couldn't get him because... Couldn't get near Jesus because of the crowd. So they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Do you get the picture here? That whatever the obstacle was, they were willing to do whatever it took because they had a mission. And that mission was my friend needs Jesus. And if we leave this place... He's going to die. He's going to be without hope. There's never going to be this opportunity again. We've got to get to Jesus. You know, I think about what maybe they've, maybe excuses they could have said. Well, listen, you know what? We did our best. We brought him here. It's too crowded. It must be God's will that he not see Jesus. God must in his sovereignty ordained that we... Can't bring him to Jesus and, well, you know, we tried God. No. God honors persevering faith. God honors that, you know, listen, you know why oftentimes there are obstacles, God allows obstacles to see whether you have the kind of persevering faith to say, I'm not going to allow that obstacle, but by faith I'm going to overcome that because God has told me i got to get Fred to Jesus. And God wants to see what kind of persevering faith that you have. Remember the story of uh, when uh, the, uh, was it the Samaritan woman? And she uh, was uh, talking and asking uh, Jesus for, was it it bread or or something, asking of him. And and he he kind of almost offended her. He said, uh, referred and said, you know, dogs don't eat at the master's table. Because in the view of the Jews of his day... 
a non-Jew was considered like a dog. He wasn't calling her dog. He was just... But what you see here is he's drawing her to great faith. He's throwing an obstacle there. Do you remember what she said? She said, yes, master, but even good masters let their dogs eat the crumbs. And he said, oh, you are a woman of... And in the Greek, it's you are a woman of mega faith, great faith. Because you didn't allow this obstacle. You're going to roll it down. You're going to persevere. Do we care enough to do whatever it takes to get our friend, our family member, our son, our daughter, our spouse to Jesus? They did. They didn't say, well, you know what? Jesus has his meetings too late. I don't get up that early. You know, 10 o'clock, we're out doing stuff on on Saturday, you know. I mean, I can't get there. It's too... Can we go later when the crowd dies down? It's not convenient for me. Oh, that's the Saturday that we were going to go have a family day and just walk around the park. In other words, we're just going to sleep in and skip church. Ooh, that's a guilt trip, isn't it? No. You know what? Some need a little motivation to be committed just to come to church. To be faithful. And again, as I said last week, we wonder why our kids are indifferent because we're indifferent. Hello? You know I'm telling you the truth. You know I'm being honest with you. They didn't allow any of those obstacles. They said, we got to get our pal to, to Christ. They can't get him in the house where Jesus is already in the house. I want to... You know, they, I love this, that they just open that roof up. <laughs> Again, it doesn't say, you know, really whose house it was. Let's assume it was Peter's. I just wonder, you know, being a type A guy like Peter was, you know. I mean, all of a sudden he saw them coming, they're ready And all he's thinking of, I just repaired that. And they're busting open the roof and they're bringing and lowering this body right down in the middle. I was at a, we were at a conference last year in... Uh, or was it why mama? First time I ever heard that, I said, why what? At a conference center, and it was raining and storm, and literally the roof, remember when that came down on some folks uh, near where we were sitting? I, I just wonder whether, you know, you, you, know, you know, whether you saw a little dirt coming down. Maybe Peter's just really listening to Jesus, really into what, you know, is going on there, and all of a sudden, little dirt falling down, and you know, and he hears a little noise. You know, it's a crowded house, right? And all of a sudden, he hears this noise. It sounds like somebody's tearing something. And, and, and the traditional homes in, in that day and time were kind of a mud, clay, tile-like uh, structure. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he hears something, and he sees a little daylight or something on Jesus' face and thinks, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Or yeah, I don't know what he thinks. He looks up, and all of a sudden, he sees these four guys looking down. And then he sees his body being lowered down. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be kind of, well, I don't know if that'd be neat, but we, we, we have plenty of room, and the doors open. Put this, I want you to see, before we put the quote up, hold on one second. Charles Spurgeon, some of you know that name. Some of you hear it, and you're like, oh, who, who is that guy? He was, uh, in his day and time, he pastored probably the largest church in the world in his day and time, which was probably in the mid to late. He died in 1892, and I believe he was maybe in his late 50s or 60. Died by our standards, young 
young man. But at the age of 22, he was preaching already to 10,000 people in England. Okay? Uh, at one time, in 1857, many years, he was still a young man, uh, probably in his 30s, late 20s and 30s, he preached in London at the Crystal Palace, and at that time he preached to 24,000 people at one time. His sermons because the telegraph was in operation. His sermons were transcribed via telegraph, Morse code, and they were transmitted to newspapers all over the world. Hundreds of newspapers published full manuscripts of Spurgeon's sermons every week in American newspapers. Can you imagine? The Washington Post, USA Today, and there's a full sermon by a God-Jesus-lover preaching truth in the newspapers. Boy, how times have changed, huh? I said all that to say is every once in a while I like to read, if, I, if, I, if he's done it, and he's preached on everything, so it's really hard and easy to find, is sometimes on a passage or a text when I might be teaching or preaching, one of the last things I like to do is find a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached on that passage and read because they're just, just a way that he says things and insights. And I want to share with you a couple of quotes. The first quote, if you'll put up on the screen, I have it on the screen so that uh, maybe you can follow along and read it. But listen to what he says in context of this willingness to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. Notice this. And some of the language is a little old, but I think it's easy to follow. He says about this event, it was a very singular action which the bearers, the friends, performed. Who could have thought of breaking up a roof? Nobody but those who loved much and much desired to benefit the sick. Oh, that God would make us attempt singular things to save souls. May a holy ingenuity be excited in the church, a sacred inventiveness set at work for winning men's hearts. Let us but feel our hearts full of zeal for God and love for souls, and we shall soon be led to adopt means, methods, which others may criticize but which Jesus Christ will accept. Let me put it in this phrase. We need a Holy Spirit thinking out of the box sometimes in how to reach individuals for Christ. Some of you may know this, but how many of you know the name Robert Schuller? How many of you know Hour of Power, right? In the 50s, you know how he got started in Southern California? He started a church in a drive-in theater. He bought a drive-in theater, built a platform, had a choir, the whole deal. And his tradition, you know, he wore the, gar- the robe, he, kind of the Christian Reformed church, and wore the robe and had, the, had a full platform. And people drove up. How many of you remember drive-in theaters? Don't we have one here somewhere? You know, kind of nostalgic. And people would sit in their cars, put that speaker. Remember that speaker? You know, that heavy metal speaker, you know, put it on there. And they would, could sit in their car, and he would be on, and they would have church. And the church just grew like crazy. This was in the 50s. 
That's Holy Spirit ingenuity. That was using some creative means to say, you know what, how are we going to reach this group of people in Southern California? Hey, here's an idea. Other people would say they would just see a drive-in theater. But God gave him a vision to say, you know what, that's a drive-in theater that can be used for the advancement of the gospel. That's creative ingenuity. These guys busted open the roof to bring and let their guy down. So here's the principle that in reaching that friend, that person, hear this. Whatever the obstacle or obstacles are, here's what you need to pray for. Pray for God to give you and me divine strategy. Say divine strategy. Divine strategy. Because do you believe that the Lord has the key to any and every situation? Do, you really, do we believe that? He knows, he knows our need, Matthew 6. He knows our need before we ask. He, know, he knows the answer to everything. He knows the strategy of how to... This person, of course, it's all by his spirit. We don't, we don't, we're just, we're just facilitators. We're just messengers. And say, God, give me a divine strategy to show me how I best can lead, be used by you to lead this person to Christ. Because without Jesus, this person has no hope. And I know that your purpose and will is to save them. But I also know that your purpose and your will is somewhere in that divine mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility that you use people like me to open my mouth and to make and to care enough to get involved and to not and be willing to do whatever it takes because I know what they need. I know who to lead them to. Give me a Holy Spirit strategy... And how I can reach them. Now that may not be just a one-shot deal. Well, I tried. What if the guys just went to the door and knocked on the door? And you ever go somewhere and you can't even get on the door? Can you move? Come on, man. It's so packed in that house. They could have just said, all right, you know, we're gone. The first overture may not work. The second one may not work. But you know what? You need to pray and say, God, give me a strategy for the long haul. And if you haven't built any relationship with that person, don't all of a sudden start coming on like gangbusters within a week and just you're just barraging them with emails and everybody's website and you need Jesus and whatever. That probably won't work. It might start by saying, hey, how about you and I get together for coffee? We hadn't talked in a long time. Write them a note. Do people still write notes? Huh? Amazing how many people don't even know what a stamp to use. Think any stamp. I was listening to this guy the other day talking about his college-educated son mailed something and put a one-cent stamp on it. Thought, stamp's a stamp. You hear what I'm saying? Invite him over to your house, not as one deacon and a former church did who really never talked to me, never had anything. And all of a sudden, one day, he calls me up, says, I got to talk to you. And when people do that, you know, I get a little, I'm like, okay, well, you know, so he said, I'll come over. I'll come over to the church. I never will forget this moment. He is with the Lord. He is dancing around the throne. He loved the Lord. 
Francis. That was his name. And I remember we're sitting in the gymnasium, because the church had a gymnasium, obviously. It was a big church. You remember those wooden bleachers? Remember the sound of those things, you know? We're sitting there on the bleachers, and about, Chris, about 30 minutes in this conversation about starting your own business and how expensive it is, I realize he's trying to, get, he's trying to sell me something. And I won't tell you what it is because it, it's a great company. That's not the point. But it was all to get me into his downline. I didn't care what he was selling. I was so aggravated at him wasting my time. Whereas if he just said up front, hey, I got something I think you might be interested in. Can I come by and have 10 minutes and talk to you? I probably would have been wide open for it. Don't do that. Don't all of a sudden, you don't speak to this person, you don't have any contact with this person. All of a sudden, you're going to be Mr. and Mrs. Relationship. You have to build the place. And you know what? That may take weeks. It may take months. It may take years. Be consistent. Don't give up. Say, God, you have given me a divine strategy for reaching this person. And by faith, I'm going to be faithful to that. If I have to put it on my smartphone and blink a a reminder certain days of the week to call this person, to write this person, do, like these guys, do whatever it takes. Be committed. And don't allow some obstacle to deter you. Well, I emailed them three times and they don't get back with me. So what? You're on a divine mission by God. You are sent by God to reach this person that he has laid upon your heart, and you're willing to carry that burden, you're willing to, to, to care enough to get involved, you say, well, you don't know this person. And because once I start getting involved in their life, it is going to be a mess. Hello, anybody here had a clean conversion? Anybody here not have a messy life that Jesus has not cleaned up and is still cleaning up? Such were some of you, Paul says, Right? I'm struck by, again, the fact that they carried him because that just reminds me that there are some people, if we're willing to do whatever it takes, there's some people, guys, that we may have to carry the whole way. And that takes a little work on our end. Like the man in the story, they're paralyzed. Obviously, they're paralyzed because of sin, because of sin in their life, but, but, but paralyzed by this out-of-control behavior in their life, paralyzed by maybe a belief system that tells you, you know what, you're too sinful, you've gone too far, God doesn't love you, you're beyond any hope, He's given up on you, paralyzed maybe by the memory of something that happened in your childhood, and you're just paralyzed and gripped, unable to talk about it paralyzed by maybe an addiction to drugs, prescription drugs, gambling, pornography, alcohol, work, money, whatever it is. Something that just feeds you because that's where you find your self-worth and you realize the payoff is pretty empty because that which you're seeking for in the stuff, only Jesus can fulfill your life. The greatest job, the greatest wife, the greatest car, all that stuff, the greatest high, whatever, can never satisfy you like Christ, paralyzed, paralyzed. 
fear, anxiety, depression, bottomed out self-worth, a nightmarish childhood of neglect and abuse. Whatever it is, you know what? Because of the paralyzing effect of sin, you, my friend, if we're willing to do whatever it takes, we might have to carry that person to come alongside of them because they're so paralyzed because of the effects of sin in their life. You realize Jesus, when he began his ministry, went into a synagogue and opened to Isaiah 61, and it's recorded in Luke 4, and it's our mission of the Master where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed, to set the paralyzed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These friends were unrelenting in their zeal because they were committed to do whatever it takes. Opening a roof, digging a hole, whatever was involved, they were willing to do the heavy lifting to care for this person to see that they got to Christ. There's another quote by Spurgeon, if you'd put that up on the screen in the same context. He says, I do not read that they, again, he's, he's commenting on this very thing that we're talking about. I do not read that they, they said a single word, yet what they did was enough. Abilities for lifting and caring did the needful work. They just cared, and they were willing to do the, the work, the, the lifting. Some of you say, ah, we cannot be of any use. We wish we could preach. Spurgeon says these men could not preach. They did not need to preach. They lowered the paralytic, and their their work was done. Look at this. They could not preach, but they could hold a rope. Can we hold a rope? Can we hold the rope? Sure we can. Look at what happened. He was forgiven, verse 5, Jesus said, when he saw their faith. I think it's interesting. Jesus saw their faith. But he healed and said, son, which again, I'd love to talk about. Just what did he do? Affirm this man's sonship as created in the image of God. He wasn't just some sick guy, some needy guy. Oh, what is it now? What kind of problems do we have now? What did Jesus say? Son. What does that imply? Father, son. You're my son. Son. You see that? That, that In the Greek, it literally means child, revealing Jesus' great affection and compassion for this man's plight. Now, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know. It doesn't say, but... These four guys, he's paralyzed. They're like, okay, he's going to give him a spiritual lesson. That isn't why we brought him. We need this guy to get up. Maybe he was a work partner and they were losing work. I don't know, but that wasn't what they came for. They wanted this guy healed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven? Hello, what's going on here? Jesus, because he's Jesus, and that's why we need to take people to Jesus 
Jesus was getting to the root of his problem. His problem really wasn't that he couldn't walk. That was a problem. Jesus could have healed him where he could walk and still not heal him from the real need that he needs in his life. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. I I find this interesting, and I wouldn't go out and start a movement on this little, but many church historians through the years have interpreted that this man was paralyzed as a result of an as as a result of an immoral life. That the reason he was paralyzed was because of his immoral immoral behavior, his sexual behavior. We don't know that. Just something interesting. So if that's the case, then forgiveness would be gnawing away at this man's heart. And Jesus, remember what it said? He already knew. Later he says he knew what was going on with those Pharisees. He knew what was going on in their heart. Wouldn't he know what's going on in that paralyzed man's heart? Of what his real need is for? Maybe he couldn't communicate. Jesus always deals with the root. And the root is always sin. Even as believers, you know what? Jesus is still coming and digging away. Thankfully, we have the power of the Spirit is digging away those sinful tracks in our life that have become so, we become so accustomed and familiar. That's what sanctification is. That's what deliverance is. Is that process of Jesus' healing from those sinful actions and behavior. It doesn't say that this person's sickness was a result of his sin. But it could be implied because of how Jesus dealt with the issue. He forgave him of his sin. And he got both. He got forgiveness and he got what else? He got healing. Jesus sees the whole situation. He looks past sometimes what we see. And he gets to the heart. He gets to the root. He gets down deep. He may have needed healing, and he did. But even more so, like all of us, he needed a healing of the soul that only Christ could provide. Now, everybody was excited and happy, right, as that happened. Well, it says in verse 6 and 7 that some of the religious folks, the scribes who were sitting there, were offended because they said something in a negative way, but they were affirming truth. You ever, heard, you ever heard somebody say something negative and it actually they were speaking the truth? What did they say? They said, whoa, only God can forgive sins. Hello, ding, 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 you moved to the head of the class, Mr. Scribe. That's exactly what is going on here with Jesus. They couldn't see his healing of their sin, of the man's sin, but you know what they could see? They could see the physical miracle of this paralyzed man taking up his mat and walking, and they think if he can heal the outer as a sign of what? Jesus' authority as the Son of God. And he asked them that question, what's easier? Verse, was it verse 9? He says, what's easier, for me to forgive his sins or to say, rise up, take your mat, and walk? Even though they meant it in a critical way, they were affirming truth because it was a sign of Jesus' authority. 
shares a few thoughts, and we'll close. What do we take away from this? These are not going to be on the screen if you want to just go to the next slide. God can use me and you if we're willing to get involved. It's that simple. Pray for the right people. If you have a sense of, I can't do this alone, pray for the right people to come alongside of you to join with you in prayer and holding in strategy or determining a strategy. I heard that music and I felt there was angels coming down. Um, <laughs> did you see me jerk around? I was like, wow, wow. This, this is a better message than I thought. Um, <laughs> pray for God to put around you people that will relationally... What does it say? If two or more are gathered into my, in my name. Do you think there's something in that? Of why it's not... Church is not just a little solo thing, but there's something about coming together to help you. And there may be an idea or a concept that the Spirit may put in this person's life and said, you know what, I had somebody in the same way. Here's, here's what I did. Wow, I never thought of that. What a wonderful idea. Pray for the right people to come alongside and join with you. Pray, as I said earlier, pray and ask the Lord for a divine strategy, the unique combination of how God can use you to lead that person to Christ. Don't give up. Don't allow any obstacle to hinder you in the mission and purpose because you know and I know that this person, fill in the blank, they need Jesus. They need Jesus.